Hello. I've got a study shed in the back garden and despite the uncertainties and knowing that a lot of people are going through hard times with the lockdown, one of the things that I've been able to do being here more often now is to be able to pop out into the garden and do a bit of weeding and sow a few seeds to break up uh, my time of study and uh, it's, it's been nice to be able to do that uh, and on my day off as well of course and so I've been having a lot to do with seed sowing and hoping one day for a good harvest and this brings us to the next in our parables of the kingdom the parable of the weeds in Matthew 13 and Joel is going to give us our Bible reading Matthew 13 24 to 30 Jesus told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do it. Do evil, sorry. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The parable of the weeds. First of all, we see Jesus' clear code of his deity. Now, Matthew thirteen twenty four, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And then in verse 37, Jesus answers and he's explaining the parable, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus speaks in parables is to allow people who are really listening to get truths with a clear code. Jesus doesn't go about saying, I am God, for example, but he does use phrases and titles which will make people think, did I just hear him say that? What, what does he mean by that? Let me find out more. Now, if Jesus had come out directly with some truths about himself at the wrong time, it would have caused a frenzy. The people were ready to rally around a Messiah who they hoped would lead them in battle against all Israel's enemies. It would have caused a violent response from the Romans and it would have all been for the wrong reasons. Because Jesus' kingdom of heaven was not going to be like that. But the title Jesus uses to his disciples explain the parable, the Son of Man, is an Old Testament reference 
to a divine ruler, not a mere man. And it is, for those who are thinking, clear code. The Holman New Testament commentary says, Note the way Jesus again uses the title, the Son of Man, describing his authority over angels at the final judgment. Because the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom, and the field represents the world, the Son of Man is no less than the King himself, who plants and grows kingdom citizens in his world, at his discretion and by his sovereign authority. In the parables, many Old Testament images that apply only to God himself now represent Jesus. Jesus speaks with clear code. Now, secondly, we note that explain to us is a healthy response. Verse 36, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. The fact that the disciples were given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven did not mean that they automatically understood everything, but they wanted to know, and they had the capacity to learn more. Now we may be tempted to think that if we're a Christian we should be able to grasp it all like we imagine a theologian can, but it's not always true that theologians really grasp the Bible better. They can in some cases just be using clever words to speculate. But if you struggle to understand parts of the Bible, you're in good company with the disciples. And the key thing is not an ability to understand everything quickly, but a capacity and a desire to learn more. Explain to us is a godly and a healthy response. Now, there are similarities to the parable of the seed in the soils, but we have here a very different scenario. But we do have a picture again of the kingdom of heaven helping us and introducing us to see what the kingdom of heaven is like so thirdly the kingdom of heaven is like verse 24 jesus told them another parable the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field now the jews were expecting a physical takeover of the world by israel under a, the mighty hand of the messiah the idea of the kingdom of heaven was very physical and immediate. Now to be fair, this was only half wrong, because there were many prophecies in the Old Testament looking forward to when conditions on earth will be where peace and righteousness rule, and where the Lord will restore his people, and so on. But the tendency was to miss the prophecies that talked about the Messiah's suffering. The classical example is the description in Isaiah 53, and they also missed the promise that through Abraham and his descendants, all nations on earth will be blessed. The popular idea of the kingdom of heaven was very nationalistic and bypassed a true humble repentance and tried to ignore or reinterpret the idea of a suffering Messiah. Suffering will come before glory, the cross before the crown. Until the time of glory and the crown, the kingdom will be a mix of God's people living amongst those who are not, and for now it is where an enemy is at work. Verse 37. The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy sows who sorry, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Now the common expectation was that 
citizens of the kingdom of heaven will rule the world with Christ. But the reality, of course, is that citizens live among people of the world and they'll find themselves side by side with enemy agents. They will have forces opposing them until the day of judgment. And Jesus was very clear that to follow him would mean a real cost in this world. John 15, verse 18 to 20. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Notice that Jesus doesn't imply that every single person will hate us or persecute us. Some people of the world around us will seem to respect and, and come to believe the Lord, and even some people that actively behave as our enemies will become Christians. The Apostle Paul himself as a prime example. The enemy, the devil, is a reality that we need to bear in mind. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are, fourthly, non-secret agents. Non-secret agents. Jesus began his preaching ministry, The kingdom of heaven is near. But it's not going to be a land or a zone where God's people are in and everybody else is outside. It's not going to be the independent republic of Israel or even Christian land. It's not going to be a trouble or suffering free zone. God's people are going to be agents implanted by God living amongst everybody else. And amongst the general population there will be specific agents that the enemy has sown in the world. It's going to be a challenging mission. But the Lord is with us and we have his weapons and gadgets to fulfill our mission. When we open our Bibles and read and pray and seek the power of the Holy Spirit and when we learn together and support each other, it's like the spy going to the underground bunker with all the spy gadgets for the mission. Now we are not to be secret agents, not intentionally. We'll be non-secret agents. We are to declare a message and live out a way of life that is radically distinctive amongst people around us, deliberately and openly. In practical terms, it's not going to be our world as such with unbelievers as intruders. It's more going to feel that the world is still dominated by unbelievers and that we are the intruders. That's how it will feel in practical terms. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 talks about the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We know the truth that the Lord is the one true God and that the world is his and will be in practical terms one day. But his way is not a physical takeover of force or coercion but a battle for hearts and minds, a battle to get across a message and to give people a choice and a chance. For what? To become members of the kingdom themselves. The weeds can be turned by God's grace and the power of the gospel message. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18 speaks of our mission. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we don't give this appeal from a position of human might and strength. We are not like a superpower who has might, wealth and influence, offering inducements to the citizens of a poor country, inducing them to take on our values. It's not the independent republic of Christianity that is speaking from a position of power. Instead, it's an appeal from a position of smallness and apparent weakness. Churches and individual Christians scattered like refugees around the world in every nation, living quiet and godly lives, often misunderstood and persecuted. Nevertheless, they hold out an appeal of love from within the same world in which unbelievers live and dominate, and amongst whom are the enemy agents. We need to remember that Jesus wants us to be salt and light within our society, not to take power and impose Christian values. We are not to expect Christianized societies as the norm. We can rejoice and revel in our freedom to preach the gospel and have Sundays free to worship together, for example, but these, amongst others, are not our rights to assume or take for granted. We are not meant to work for a Christian state and make sure that the laws favour us. That's not what Jesus taught us, and here in this parable, it's not what to expect in this age. But there is, fifthly, the age to come. Our mission is to prepare ourselves for the kingdom to come and to be actively recruiting people to our side. We are training for heaven. We're in the school of faith before we come to the holiday of heaven. And as we prepare for what's to come, we seek to turn and recruit as many as possible. We know that it's only a matter of time before the king returns to finalise all his plans and it is certain that we will be in a transformed world under his good leadership. We are on the winning side. We have a wonderful future ahead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-28 tells us that there will be the resurrection when Jesus returns, there will be judgment that will take place, verse 24, and then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. So all in all we have a wonderful future ahead, but we also have a great rescue mission now. The people that we live amongst are in great danger. Now, imagine one of those disaster movies where there are a few people, just a few, who realise something terrible is coming. They've seen the evidence, they believe it, but they have great difficulty in persuading people around them to take notice. Most people think they are crazy conspiracy theorists, but people's lives are in danger, and so they prepare themselves and keep trying to warn others. Now, we are saved by God and we're safe. Something serious is going to happen for real. In Matthew 24 verse 30 Jesus says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, 
and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. It's very hard to explain a danger that we can't see. One of the difficulties about the COVID-19 virus is that most people are not directly affected. It's not an enemy that we can see, and we're going on what other people tell us, and the news reports, for example. Some of us have had a very real and tangible experience of it, but many other people are in lockdown and keeping themselves and others safe by faith. They believe the news and the reports of others. And so when we warn people about the danger of judgment when Jesus returns for his people, when we share the gospel, it's not going to be easy because although the effects of sin are all around us, people can't see an immediate danger to them. They can't easily see the link between their behaviour, their ignorance, their rejection of God and, and judgment. But the Spirit of God can open their eyes and we just need to keep on being faithful and live distinctive Christian lives. But here's a question for us to think about. When people look at your life and get to know you, would they get the impression that you really believe that there is a danger to be saved from? Do they see someone who is on a mission? Do you look like someone who is like the majority, living all for this age? Or do they see someone preparing for the age to come and warning others? Sixthly, we have the harvest. Now from the parable, notice that the presence of the weeds was only recognised as the seed heads of the wheat had formed. So this was towards the later stage of the growth for the wheat, approaching ripening and harvest time. Verse 26. When the wheat sprouted and, heads, and the heads formed, then the weeds also appeared. So the t distinction between the two happened later on in the growth Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, the enemy's weeds are not recognised by the owner's farmers till late on in the growth. And this reminds us that it's not always easy to recognise enemy agents. By definition, they often covert. There are enemy agents even in churches. People who appear like regular Christians but are false prophets. Jesus warned about the possibility of, or the likelihood of false prophets. People with an agenda. Now, as individual Christians, we are to keep our hearts true. Church leaders are to challenge clear denials of the gospel. We are to call out clear, ungodly behaviour where people do not repent. But we must not become paranoid. We are not to be like McCarthy in the United States of America, who led the witch hunt in 1947 to 1957 against any whiff of communist sympathising with a ruthlessness that's renowned. 
It drove fear into the, into the states with a, a reds under the bed paranoia. Here in the parable, the owner's servants recognize that there are weeds in the field and want to pull them up there and then. But the master appears relaxed and wants them to grow together in case, as he said, they pull out the wheat with the weeds. Sometimes it's hard to recognize what kind of plant is growing until well on into the seedling stage. And the thought of going through a field and making sure every weed you pull up really was a weed would be an impossible task. In this case, it'll be easier to recognize the wheat from the weeds later on at the harvest stage. Now, God's people might want right now a world or a church totally free from unbelieving influences and persecutions, but that separation will have to wait for the harvest, for the judgment. And the people that others may think of as weeds might actually turn out to be good wheat in the end by God's saving grace. And so patience in the kingdom of heaven now is required. Patience with people too. Keeping a church sound in doctrine and challenging clearly ungodly behaviour is taught in the Bible. But we must be prepared to be patient with individuals and not quick to give up on people. Winning people for Christ comes as a priority over purging the church. Because when it comes down to it, only God can see our hearts. And there is a frightening and a sobering truth. There will be people on the day of judgment who appear to be the wheat, but are weeds for the fire. Matthew 7 verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Well, lastly, number seven, we have the burning or the shining. The burning or the shining. Verse 40. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Many years before Christ came into the world, the prophet Daniel had a message concerning the Son of Man, the divine ruler who would rule an everlasting kingdom. Later on, Daniel hears words which Jesus uses in this parable and speaks of himself as that Son of Man. He will bring these things to pass. Daniel 12 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The harvest in the parable is about the judgment day, a time when every single Christian and every single non-Christian will stand before God's Son, and we will be accountable to him. There will be gathered together people who cause others to sin, and everyone who has done evil. There will be those who are the righteous, the wise, those who have led others to righteousness. There will be the weeds, and there will be the wheat, two sets of bundles.
Now, it's very one side or the other, isn't it? And, and, and the weeds are burned in the fire, which represents the eternal regret and punishment for sin in hell. The wheat are God's people gathered together to shine in eternal life. So there's a very serious question here. Which one of the two will you be? Which side of the two will you be on? The pile of bundles for the burning or those gathered for the shining? Well, you may not have considered yourself to be sown by the devil or to be an enemy of God or or evil in behaviour. But I just urge you, be careful. Your definition of doing evil may be narrower than God's. And as this is such a serious issue, spend some time, please, even for a short time, just to think through the Ten Commandments. Look up the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 to 7. Spend some honest time with your conscience before God and discover what God says is good and wise and righteous and what evil is to him. Ask yourself the question also, why is a God who would die on a cross to save us, giving us a warning that we can just ignore? If he went to such a great extent to save us and he's here giving us a warning, we cannot ignore it, can we? It must be serious if Jesus, after warning us, here went on to give his life, to bring us forgiveness for our sins. And, of course, people may argue over the scale of evil all day. But when it comes down to it, either you're in the weed bundle or the wheat bundle. And the only good bundle, the only safe bundle, is the wheat. So the vital issue is not whether I'm not such a bad weed after all, but am I wheat? And the only way to be wheat is to be a committed disciple of Jesus Christ, to belong to him, to be part of his kingdom, to be a child of his kingdom, and to be ready to shine in that day to come. Please, take note of the words again as Jesus finishes this parable. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've had some words from your Son which are very challenging, very stirring, words which maybe we are finding hard to grasp, hard to take in, to understand that we are in danger, such serious danger. Lord, when we, even when we look around the world and see things that are going on as a result of sin, we find it hard to see the link to an eternity cut off from your mercy in a place of judgment. But this is what your son Jesus is teaching us here. This is what your word, the Bible, is telling us. This is the danger that we need to be saved from. And Lord, we just simply ask that if anyone who's listening to this is not yet a Christian, that you would help them just to see that glimpse of that danger so that they might recognise that they are a sinner who needs to be saved, a person who needs to be forgiven, a person who needs to be sure that they are wheat, that they are the wheat of your kingdom. Father God, please, I pray that you would help them to see that and to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Saviour. Father, for those of us who are Christians, help us, Lord, as we consider the implications of this parable. 
that we are not to seek a world that is, if you like, a Christian country. We are to live amongst many non-believers, even those who are outwardly enemies of Christ. We are to be salt and light in such a society, to live out the gospel in our behaviour and to appeal with our words to those who are still lost and in danger. Lord, give us courage and strength. Help us to know that we have your resources to serve you in this environment. And Lord, we thank you that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and all, and all the armour that you provide. And we are, we are on the winning side in Christ. And we look forward to a day when we will be in an eternal holiday. In the best sense of the word holiday, we will spend eternity with you. You will reign. You will come to put all things right. And we can be part of this great kingdom which is now and will be. Lord, we pray you bless your word to our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any questions, if you have any prayer requests, if you want to know more about becoming a Christian, please do get in touch and we'd love to try and answer those questions and help you further. Thank you.